I'm Alan Watt, and I'm standing in for Michael Herzog today for a couple of hours. Now, some of you have heard me before on this station and others, and uh, I also have a website, CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com, and Alan Watts, SentinelEU. I do talks every week about um, not just what's happening in these present days, but how we got here. That's really important to know. Uh, it's, uh, I always stress the importance of how short each life is. And uh, in our younger years, we were caught up in education and school. We're caught up uh, with uh, hormonal driving, as I call it. And then we're into work and either marriage or careers or both. And we tend to almost wake up partway through and wonder what's happening to the world we live in. We suddenly become awake of and aware too of drastic changes that are happening. Often by intuition, we're not certain what these changes are. We just feel that there are big powers at play. Today, it's harder to get the information as to how these powers that are at play and are changing our world around us as we live begun at who they are and their history. And never mind that, you'll find that if you go into your parents or your grandparents' history or your great-grandparents' histories, they keep editing history for every generation and big chunks of it is just simply taken out. To find out what's really been happening, we have to go far back in history just to get the basics of an economic system. An economic system that created hierarchies and dynasties, family dynasties, who could then use money and taxation and create armies, which they sent off to war on peoples who often didn't use money, tribal peoples and rural peoples, people who were truly independent of any system. It conquered them and forced a system on them and then tax them back after introducing their coinage or the money, whatever it happened to be. And with that taxation, you could employ the best thinkers to do nothing but sit and discuss and think. These thinkers became philosophers and advisors to kings and queens. Today we have the same situation only since the advent of parliaments and congresses, we have huge think tanks which specialize on different parts of society, aspects of society, and their prime importance is always to maintain a dominant minority in power generation after generation. To do this, they know that the changes they will bring about because they do have plans and the world is run like one huge business plan. They take every aspect of the changes they're going to bring about and look at the possible reactions from the people and find ways to offset them. Back in a minute. Hi folks. I'm Alan Watt, filling for Michael Herzog today for a couple of hours and I'm going over 
some of the the histories that have led up up to this present situation where people are shocked to see what they thought was their system drastically changing uh, more by intuition uh, by little clips in newspapers little bits and bites of sound is fed to them never a complete picture of what's happened or where it's going so it gives them a, a nervous feeling to know that their what they thought was their their countries that their systems uh, are actually being altered by powers unseen they're right with the last part because the people who run governments do what they're told like Professor Carol Quigley did a pretty good description of how this power lead work in uh, Tragedy and Hope and uh, now he was well known for picking Rhodes Scholars for a world governorship he picked Bill Clinton and others and high level bureaucrats now in the US federal government he amongst others he was also the historian the official historian for the Council on Foreign Relations which is just the American branch of the Royal Institute for International Affairs the Royal Institute for International Affairs is one of the biggest players in this because they came out of the Cecil Rhodes Foundation which merged with the Alfred Milner Foundation both really fronts for the British establishment elite and their purpose was to take over the world initially in its resources, its minerals, its oils, diamonds, gold, all of that kind of thing and then they were to specialize in sub-branches which would deal with pushing social agendas worldwide through various countries uh, sometimes altering the agendas according to the culture but always to bring them to the same point at the same time that's why the whole world is going along the same path and we're all at the same stages basically worldwide except for the Middle East the last bastion to the standardization system where the whole world is to be standardized under one system scientifically controlled so the Royal Institute for International Affairs spawned its non-British Commonwealth branches and called them Council on Foreign Relations they also have a branch in the US which is based in New York with a sub-branch which dealt with Pacific Rim relations the Pacific region relations their job was to bring a form of communism into the Far East and then guide it into democracy and then make them the manufacturers for the whole world for the whole planet and that's been accomplished they wrote about this a hundred years ago in their own books members of this organization uh, these characters according to Quigley and he was one of them he was the official historian for them admitted they were behind the creation of wars they were behind the, the panics they would set off prior to wars beginning to get the populace uh, behind them in preparation for the wars so the public would demand they'd actually go to war. Uh, they did this in England in the 1930s. The Royal Institute for International Affairs met together. The top uh, newspaper owners were all part of it. And they, did, they agreed to terrify the wits out of the British populace by giving them false information about uh, Germany's intentions towards Britain. And they told them, the British people, 
every day for two or three years, they were going to be gassed by millions of tons of gases that Hitler had stored up. And quickly admitted it was all fabricated lies. But to make sure that the public didn't know this, they gave them all gas masks and made them go through air raid drills and put on these masks. Anything to terrify them so the public would get to a breaking stage and say, well, do something about this guy over in Germany. And that's the techniques they will use. The end justifies the means. And these characters have no basic um, empathy as we think of it. Uh, we are just pawns in their big game. And uh, terrifying the public to get wars started is a typical strategy, all down through the ages. Uh, you'll find they also decided that democracy as we know it would have to be short-lived. They, they thought that there were too many conflicting groups and parties in the world to ever have a stable society. And therefore, they'd have to have, have para-governmental organizations, organizations that were not responsible to the public, the voting public of any country. They set up these huge foundations, which would then be interlinked with the secret services, such as CIA and MI6. And the Mossad, and at the very top of this interlinked pyramid, it all be joined together, all of these secret service organizations, and that's what they did long ago. This was really cemented into their own laws when they signed the NATO Charter, the Atlantic Charter, actually, back at the end of World War II, and that became the foundation for the United Nations Charter, right from the Atlantic Charter. People should read it because that's the new constitution for the world. And believe you me, under this system that's coming in now, there are to be no individual rights at the end of it. It's a collectivist society. One of the foundations that specializes in propaganda to the public is called the Club of Rome. Joined at the hip with all the other foundations such as the Rockefeller Foundation. The Club of Rome wrote in their own book called The New Revol or The Revolution. The first revolution actually was the title of the book. They wrote in the book that they'd have to basically destroy democracy because of the conflicting sides. It was too slow to get things done when people were arguing. And therefore an intellectual elite would have to have the right to guide planet Earth on its destiny. They also said they'd have to unite the world through a terrible fear. And they tossed about the ideas of, oh, alien invasions, could they make the people believe it, for instance. Then they said, well, no, it could be difficult, even if they, they could fund all the science fiction programs to try and convince us that it's possible. Then they hit upon the idea of finding the weather is being a big problem. And if they could make man believe that the weather uh, was in danger or in danger of killing us because we were causing global warming, they would have to unite to fight it. And then uniting would have to give up, give up all of our rights to a scientific elite. This is in their own book. And this think tank 
basically dishes out all, all of these plans and agendas to all the science magazines that you read. They dish out these agendas to all the documentaries you watch and get brainwashed by. That's how simple it is to condition whole populations along this course, this, this agenda, which is to be a totalitarian society. You'll notice that even during the, the period where a welfare state in the West was created, it was in response, supposedly, to the Soviet system, which dealt on a social basis for the people. So, in other words, you get something back for the taxes you paid for a change. And during that period, they socialized the West. They emulated what was supposedly their enemy, so that the people would say, well, we don't need unions. We don't need anyone to speak for our rights uh, because the government's doing it all for us. We have these social safety nets. And if you look towards the end of the Soviet era as it was coming down, they started to take away these same rights that they'd given you. And those who began in the early 1900s with the unions knew that if they ever failed you would have the fascist dictatorship at the end of the road once they pulled all these safety nets out from underneath you. That's been happening. They don't need to pretend anymore. They don't need to quell dissension amongst their own peoples. And that's why, for instance, they're, they're also uh, taking away all the goodies, the freebies they gave to employees, such as drug benefits and health care benefits. Now you have to pay it all yourself and the costs keep going up and up. Now, Carl Quigley, in his book, The Anglo-American Establishment and Tragedy and Hopes, said that the new system we are bringing in is a, a feudal system, a new feudal system where the CEOs of huge international corporations will be the new overlords, and they will intermesh with the politicians who will dictate to the people. That's what we've arrived at today. A global structure with the United Nations being the front and the public don't know really what's happening. The United States especially has been kept in the dark with their own history. The present generation aren't even taught about how their grandparents and great-grandparents lived and how they struggled to get even a decent living wage very, very difficult. America today, you'd think, started with Leave it to Beaver and the Waltons. There's nothing before it. They don't know that for every wage increase that they got, uh, there were often riots to try and get them. They don't know that the great benefactor, the Rockefeller Foundation, after the old Rockefeller, actually had strikes or, or miners machine gunned down in the U.S. and Pennsylvania and their families who were all living in tents and they brought in great uh, thinkers and speakers for public relations to change Rockefeller image from being a tyrant into being a, a benefactor. Now, you can read about these, these actual occurrences in Many books put out on the Rockefellers 
one of the best ones that I have read is actually by Peter Collier and David Horowitz called The Rockefellers, The American Dynasty. And you'll see how PR agents, professional PR agents, were brought in. One of them is from the Gates family, very famous name, as we know. And the Gates family um, were specialists in resolving strikes and resolving conflicts. But mainly, they were, they were specialists in giving new images to people who became benefactors of society and great philanthropists. And within about a year, he and the guy who eventually was made Prime Minister of Canada, Mackenzie King, had created a brand new image for Rockefeller. And um, this is the one we have today. The Rockefellers give money out to thousands of non-governmental organizations every year. These non-governmental organizations are the new Soviet for the world that will speak for you without your consent. They're unelected and their boss is the same boss, so old Rockefeller, who gives out world citizenship awards and has for the last 50 years. Back in a minute. Hi, folks. I'm Alan Watts. I'm standing in for Michael Herzog. I'm sitting, actually. And I think I'll sit through this one. I was talking about the great foundations and how they, they fund all of the big organizations which do all our speaking for us and we take for granted. They fund all the huge organizations like the World Wildlife Fund and many other ones that you hear about on a regular basis. The ones that demand that we have laws passed about pollution, about um, ways of farming, and many, many other things. This is based on the Soviet model because the big foundations agreed that the Soviet structure of collectivism was a good way to manage vast amounts of people and make them obey. However, the system, as they've said before, would have a fascist elite at the top above the bureaucracy. The bureaucracy would run the bulk of the people on a communistic type basis. And this has already happened. Those who are living today were born into it and didn't know it. They didn't know it because the word communism was never used. We hear about changes and new laws and terms for these laws and so on, but these are, these are actually communistic terms were used, are using today. Even the word Soviet meant government, basically by councils. And that's what we have on the boards of the big foundations. We have councils. We have non-governmental organizations all affiliated with the big foundations that fund them. These are not little grassroots organizations that go around your houses um, collecting money in a tin can. They have salaries. Salaries and they have pension schemes and buildings with uh, many floors and computers. And they are doing all you are speaking for you. And we sit back and we hear them and we approve or disapprove 
most people don't even think about it. They take it for granted. Uh, the heads of these organizations that are bought and paid for are also allowed into the big meetings when they sign the NAFTA and the GATT treaties and the, the summit of the Americas and all the amalgamations for the amalgamation of America meetings that they have, one or two every year. No one votes these NGO people in, and this is what they still call democracy. See, democracy keeps changing its meaning. In the 1700s, democracy was a, a bunch in Europe of uh, nobility under kings and queens, generally, in Europe, who served themselves, being the, the nobility, the wealthy elite, and uh, the rest of the people were simply commoners, because the commoners married in common. They didn't select their mate through special breeding and choices and genealogies like the nobility did. The nobility intermarry each other to keep their money together, to keep the right genes or right breeding, as they call it, together, and everyone else below them is inferior and a commoner. Commoners never really had any rights. Uh, they had titular rights, meaning they could say, oh, well, we'll let this guy go or we'll kill him. That was how, really how it worked in the 1700s. It gradually evolved into a show government, especially in Britain, uh, after the Chartist movement, when thousands and thousands of people uh, marched to have rights for the individuals amongst the commoners for a change. So we got a show government, but we still had what we called a House of Lords, which were hereditary nobilities who simply took over the titles from their dads, who had to approve all laws, and it's still the same today there. Once in a while, a person who served the system well is elevated from the House of Commons, which is basically the Congress, to the House of Lords, which is the Senate. And the U.S. that thinks it's so different really isn't so different at all. If you go into the histories and the genealogies of the people who get into the Senate. And that's the big joke. It's really the same system with different terminology. People in the U.S. think that they fought a war to get some kind of independence. And then they sat back on their laurels and, and thought, well, that's it. Our, our governments will do it all for us. And nothing was further from the truth because the big powerful elite of Europe don't sit back and give up. The whole world as they knew since they'd known for thousands of years ran on a system called money and banking and loans. It was very simple to get the United States into debt very quickly, which they did. And then they sent their own representatives over from London and Paris to finance the debt. And the United States became really not only an appendage of the British enterprise of global domination for a world commonwealth, but it also was to be the spearhead and the engine that would drive it. Back in a minute. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt, standing in for Michael Herzog for the next hour and a half or so, and I'm going through the histories of some of the big events, the big organizations that brought us to this present stage of going into globalism in a new, basically Sovietized society run by the small dominant minority, the fascist elite. You can read 
about the techniques that Plato talked about 2,300 years ago that would bring about this utopia as the aristocracy, aristocracy of his own day called it a utopia and he called it the republic a world republic really is what he talked about where the guardian class those who had proven their ability to control and dominate the lesser its as they called the common people in Greece the its would be dominated by this bunch who'd proven their, their cunningness and ability to accumulate wealth and, uh, and hold on to that wealth down through generations and this guardian class would simply hire huge armies and literally eventually towards the final stages you would bring females into the military at the final stages which we've seen already and then they would breed the females with the males within the military to create a special military class to dominate the rest and that's already happening in many circumstances that's where often they meet their, their spouses is in the military and the children are brought up on army bases and they think it's quite natural right into the, the military they have a different education a different outlook and they see themselves as special and different from the general population all written about 2,300 years ago and if you read the big players of the modern era each one will always mention Plato's Republic as being one of the, the, their favorite books to read why is that? well it's because it is the blueprint for a world system where they even talked about eventually um allaying their fears of the masses who are always threatening to rise up and revolt and, and they delay it by specially breeding the masses and creating different types of specialized humans now this is back long before we hear of genetic engineering or anything like that and in Plato's day they thought they could breed them simply like you breed animals if you want traits spread in you would get a, a woman to meet up with a man with similar traits and then keep in breeding them until you had the perfect specimen for the, the job at hand purpose made um, humans in other words H.G. Wells another writer for this power elite and who wrote many non-fiction books about it along with his fictional books about the future he himself was an admirer of Plato and went through the agenda himself he was a, a propagandist for the, the, the elite he wrote the big slogans used in the major world wars like the war to end all wars an idealistic slogan that made the general public go off to war thinking when it was all over they'd have social justice for the first time well ha ha on them we always fall for beautiful speeches and we never seem to learn do we yet the agenda is an old agenda and why is it always the same agenda of total domination of the individual why is it always the same particular agenda it's because the world with its system of power and money is to do with a type of personality we call a psychopath the psychopaths at one time were thought to be very well fairly rare and mainly amongst the lower classes and it was the lower classes ones that were studied because they'd end up in prisons for smashing windows and stealing jewelry it never dawned on psychiatrists until about the mid-1940s that this trait of power and those who, who seek after power and want instant rewards and gratification could 
possibly be very successful until they went in and looked into the and did studies on them and found that most politicians are actually psychopaths. They crave power beyond the average person. The average person wants to get married, have his job, come home to his wife and children, and, and do all the right things. The psychopath would never find that fulfilling. He wants much, much more. He wants admiration and applause. He wants to go down in history and be famous. So therefore, they gravitate towards power. And whoever stands in their way, they will take down uh, as fast as they can. The clever ones manage to tear down many people and climb over them without getting into trouble, and then they're called successful. If you look at most of the big families, in fact, even in the U.S., uh, the hereditary families in the Congress and in the Senate, you'll find that's how they all made their start. We find the Kennedys, for instance, worked with the Bronfmans during the, the, the Depression years when they had Prohibition, and they ran drugs and alcohol, uh, first from Canada to the U.S., and then when they, they stopped at the U.S. and put Prohibition in Canada, they reversed the flow from the U.S. to Canada, and that's how they made their fortunes. And once they got up there, they became incredibly famous. Then the next generation, well, they become respectable, and that's how all people get up to the top. You can't do it by honest means, because at the top, they close ranks. They decide who gets up and who doesn't. That's how strictly the world is controlled. For them to allow anyone to try and get up there means they might lose control. They might not have control over that individual or even the products they sell if it was high technology. And that's why they themselves decide what technology will be made and made available to the public. We have one big club. You might even say we have one big corporation which does the manufacturing for everything, especially in the high-tech side of things. CIA employees are interwoven with these corporations. And when you see how many are interwoven with the big corporations, you realize it's all the same corporation. You'll find the Vera chip that they want to chip everyone with for identification purposes is really owned by the CIA. It's owned by like budget um, departments. Because if you want to decide where the world is going, someone coming along with a true independent technology would spoil all your plans if they sold it to the public. So therefore, you must decide what is made available to the public and what isn't. That was decided during the Cold War when they kept saying, and the battle cry was, that science, the highest science, will win this war. That's when MI6 and the Mossad and we find uh, the CIA all got involved in creating front corporations and funding them into existence to control technology so that they could not have any independent rogue technology made available to the public. And it's been like that for quite some time. That's also why you'll find they've standardized the computer industry. If there was independent competition why isn't there one computer way ahead of everyone else with all of its programs and so on? Why is it and how is it that the Mr. Gates of the same family lineage that I mentioned earlier that helped to do the PR promotions for old Rockefeller back in the early 1900s, why is it that he was given authority and 
doors were opened for him and everyone else was pushed aside to make sure we have one world system through Windows and Microsoft. It's because it's arranged that way. We must all be on the same system. Why is that? Because we're all to be monitored by the computers that you use. It's already happening. Most folk don't mind because folk are so socialized today. They don't mind being um, monitored and watched. Many people actually admit that, that they have nothing to hide. And that's not the point of it. You see, their parents or grandparents would have indignancy, natural indignancy, if someone wanted to know all their business. Today's people have been so temporarily spoiled that they don't mind. They like to play a lot. They've been made into children because that's what socialism is. It's, it's the world of a perpetual child who doesn't want to grow up responsibility, stand on their own two feet and try and make a go of it and be independent. Many people, it was predicted long ago, would love socialism. They would love a world where these experts above them, whom they'd never meet personally, would take care of all the major decisions for them so they wouldn't have to worry their pretty little heads. They could go out and play, just work and play. And that's the temporary setup we have. And it is temporary because when the next phase comes in, that will be gone. And the next phase is planned fairly soon, or as soon at least as the United States finishes off its purpose, a purpose it was designed to do, and that's to finish off the Middle East, standardize the system for world democracy, and then the U.S. is to collapse financially, economically, uh, at the end of it. It's already happening. We're being kept afloat by a service economy. When the service economy was discussed to the European Union for Britain and other countries, the top economists admitted that it's like putting a dog in water and he's doing the dog paddle. You can only paddle as long as your strength keeps up. Eventually, you go under. If you don't produce items in this economic system, which is not our system, by the way, it's theirs. If you don't produce items, you only pass goods around for so long before you go down because the debt will always accumulate more and you have no production to pay that debt off. This is all out in the open and yet the socialized, immature public think that their credit cards, their present way of life is going to go on forever because the men above them, the big business suits that you see on television, all the experts that smile to them and make reassuring sounds are going to take care of them. Big Brother is truly, truly here, and Big Brother is worshipped and admired by most of the people. We're in for a big shock. Now, I've mentioned before Jacques Attali, who was the main advisor to presidents in France, to do with the European Union. He was, a, the, the, he was really above Francois Mitterrand, the high Freemason who, like Pierre Trudeau, had the single rose put on his coffin as a sign of his international socialism and other esoteric things. But Jacques Attali wrote a book called uh, Millennium. After being at top-level meetings at the United Nations, and it was to do with the future of the United States. 
And he said, the time is coming, says, where the borders will be brought down. This was in 1990, the book came out. And he said, there'll be floods coming in from Latin America. It'll be akin to the hordes of barbarians attacking Rome, bringing about the final fall of Rome. And he said, people will flee to the northwards, trying to escape, because when cultures clash like that, when a, a completely different culture uh, comes together, there's tremendous conflict. Even if the people themselves are peaceable, the, the differences in their culture en masse, that is, as opposed to small immigration, en masse, there's always cultural clash and, and problems break out in a big way. They also have uh, the rogue elements within the Latin America, the crooks who will come up uh, looking at the promised land and easy prey. He said there will be armed bands coming up from Latin America eventually and just raping and pillaging down through the southern states. This was all talked and debated about great think tanks at United Nations level. So it's in his book, read it, Millennium by Jax Attali. And he said at that time too, the economy of the United States will be going down and the next boat people will be Americans leaving America, looking for work abroad. Now when you look further back towards the plans even made in the 1800s to do with the, 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 the Union of Europe Karl Marx who was just a journalist a failed journalist picked up by the Rothschild family in London and told to write the Communist Manifesto which was just the flip side of capitalism because there's always two, two sides to the dialectic to, to create the third um, the synthesis really your goal is a synthesis and uh, Marx wrote about the unification of the world with three trading blocks. A united Europe first, followed by a united Americas, and then a Pacific Rim conglomerate under a world super parliament. This is not a, a new idea, it's a very old one, and it's not just an idea, it's a business plan. We have been living through a business plan. Our parents were our grandparents were, and they didn't know it because we think in short-term projects to do with our own small lifespan. These characters who work for big think tanks work in hundreds of years, and each intake knows they will often work their whole lives towards the same agenda and do their little part in it, never see the fruition, never see the ending, never reap the rewards to seal the fulfillment, but they, they do their part then the next young fellow comes in and takes over. They've been at us for a long time. Read the histories of Britain and the British diplomatic service and read about their training that they got since the 1500s onwards because they were trained in this very thing that I'm talking about, long-range intergenerational projects to globalize the world. John Dee, who worked as an advisor at Queen Elizabeth I Court, wrote about it extensively. He coined the term the British Empire, and he, and he gave the proposal to the Queen as to how it should be done. And he said each country that comes in to this amalgamation will adopt a British system of democracy. He also said that we're given special trading rights and privileges 
he said certain countries will be given most favoured nation trading status. Now, I'm using this term that you hear today, and I've only heard for the last few years, but it was, it was actually coined in the 1500s. And you think you're just going through some sort of evolution right now, where we stumble from one year to the next. There's nothing further than it from the truth. It's designed to go this way. Even the Soviet system, according to Lenin himself, said it, it would not last forever. The next phase would be neither quite capitalist and neither quite communist. And it was spread out into the world because they were part of a scheme to dominate and alter the public of Europe, socialize them in preparation for an amalgamation that would come along and fit this British system, which would all be also be a socialistic one and run on those principles. I can hear the music starting again, so I'll be back in a minute. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt standing in for Michael Herzog for the next hour and maybe 10 minutes or so. And I'm trying to show you the continuity of a very old plan, which is backed by the highest finances in the planet and has some of the oldest families of Europe at the top that have been guiding us to where we are today with all of their major think tanks that work for them, think tanks which implement uh, uh, agendas and they take problems and they, they, they figure out ways to combat all the social retaliation they would find when they implement each, implement each part of their plan. So it's not difficult. Even, even create leaders, you know, before... The people even need the particular leader. They'll train someone, knowing eventually the public will need them, and they train them in advance and present them to the public, who always says all the right things, and then always ends up compromising and compromising until you're back at square one. And again, it's a very, very old technique which has been used in the training of the, the British diplomatic corps that also trained the highest and best and well-educated provocateurs. Nothing really changes. Why change something when it works all the time, every time? Now, in the early 1900s, they knew they'd have to give a basic education to the general populations to get them to work in the factories they're going to put up. And they gave them a very basic education, very minimal. They also knew that... Um, from the general population, they could take the brighter ones from universities and give them scholarships and bring them into work on their side. And that way, you see, people would not go through life and be very, very bright and maybe become a possible problem to them down the road. So they recruited them. They always say, keep your enemies closer than your friends in the high circles. So they recruit them and they pay them well and bring them under their wing. It's tremendously easy to, to pay people off, to buy them in this world system, especially the psychopathic types that have no real allegiance to anyone except themselves. They understand the elite, and they will go and work for them. They have no qualms about uh, 
moral decisions of any kind. It's the same type they employ in the, the higher branches of the CIA and CSIS for Canada and MI6 or the Special Air Service. They're psychopathic types and they're actually given psychological examinations to make sure they are because the characters at the top will only trust their own kind. They understand each other and they will obey and do anything they're told for money. The educational system, as I say, was so important. Stalin and Lenin talked about it, as did they didn't do in the West. John Dewey was sent to the U.S. They set up this, the same basic system with the intent to give the, the children a specific indoctrination, a scientifically designed indoctrination, so that they would disregard, disregard any input which their parents gave them in any moral-type basis. They wanted to split the family unit, and they've been very, very successful with that. Uh, read the books by Lord Bertrand Russell on roads to freedom and education and the good life to see how it was done. Back in a moment. Hi, folks. I'm Alan Watt, and I'm standing in for Michael Herzog for the next one hour to go. I generally do my own talks on my blurbs. I call them blurbs. Some people have blogs. I talk blurbs. My sites are called CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com and SentientSentinel.eu. I go through lots of this history, and you can download them for free from the sites. And I go through the history in, in fair detail, covering a broad spectrum of time. And how, and I show you how this ties together. It's not a conspiracy theory. It's fact, because you, I give you the, the writings, and the, I read from the books written by the big players themselves, those who helped implement each stage of the plan. Uh, these books are generally available in your local libraries, but they gather dust because they're not terribly exciting. In fact, they're awfully boring, a lot of them. And sometimes you have to wade through hundreds of pages to find a startling paragraph with a, an admission of something. But when you do find them, it's like finding gold. And, uh, and your mind truly wakes up. So I, I've done a lot of study over the years to try and make sense and piece this together only to find it, to be honest with you, that the big boys themselves are beginning to boast that they were behind it themselves, like the Council on Foreign Relations has come out in 2005 as the Council on Foreign Relations, as a panel representing themselves on national television for the first time when they were doing the first official signing of the integration of the Americas in 2005 with the, the President and two Prime Ministers and they admitted they were behind it, and they drafted the whole thing up themselves. This non-governmental organization called the Council on Foreign Relations had done all the work. Well, who voted them into power over us? Nobody did. We have a parallel government at work that works for guys bigger than themselves. They get funded, again, from the big Foundations, Ford, Carnegie, Rockefeller, etc., which are all part and parcel with your secret services like the CIA, and always have been. So check into my 
my sites and feel free to learn as much as you want about the different, the different parts of this agenda. And it's a massive spider web all connected together. They love the name web. That's why they give you Webster's Dictionary or the Internet or the web, you see. It's all connected together. We, the public, are like the hub of an old wagon wheel. And when we look around us, we have a spoke coming off. Each spoke represents part of your society and how it's planned. And we're surrounded by all of these groups and think tanks and agencies. We're at the time that Lenin talked about. He said in the early 1900s, the time would come in the West. But when there would be so many bureaucratic departments and governmental agencies that the general public would be unable to move. In fact, he said, these agencies would be so superfluous they'd be stepping on each other's toes and territories. That's already here. We're overruled by so many laws that we can hardly move. The United States has got more laws on the books now to do with anti-terrorism which is now always expanding even into speech, that if they implement them, even a quarter of them, uh, they'll make the Stalinist era or the Hitler regime look like Boy Scouts. It will be hell on earth. And we have to speak out now and stop it. Everyone has to start speaking out now. Don't let anyone else do it for you. Back in a moment. Folks, I'm back again. I'm Alan Watts, standing in for Michael Herzog today. And I've just been informed there's a, a man on the line called Ted. I never heard it before. I don't know if there's a, a, a line problem. So is Ted there? Yes, this is Ted. Yeah. Yes, you have come very close to touching on a subject that I call that I was call, am calling about, and that is um, the term socialism. Gorbachev, Mikhail Gorbachev, said in one of his books that the system in Russia, uh, where they depended on the proletariat, the common people, uh, as a basis for their rule, was really only one form of socialism. Yes. And mm -hmm. that there was a higher form of socialism that they expected to go to. And even Lenin, uh, Gorbachev said even Lenin, uh, before he died, was uh, cogniz was uh, cognizant of this. That's right. And uh, I wondered if you would uh, uh, explain, clarify that for me, if you would. And also, I'd like to make a comment that the uh, the people like ourselves, um, who are considered extremists, mm -hmm. we uh, in, we speak in terms of what we might call the unsavory truth. Yeah. And it's interesting that uh, despite the manipulation, uh, manipulations of the others uh, who call us extremists and so forth, uh, the people at the top, the, the uh, people behind the curtain mm -hmm. also speak to each other in terms of this same unsavory truth. That's a theory that I have, and I'd like mm -hmm. you to comment on that also. Yeah, it's, it's, it's absolutely true. Um... What you have uh, are different definitions of socialism. It, it all comes from the Darwinist theories, again, born in England, 
uh, from the Darwin family a front for these elite groups. And uh, Darwin didn't come up with this theory of evolution, but um, out of it came what they call social Darwinism, an idea of a perfect society where intellectual elites and scientists would work for the dominant minority, those who controlled present power and finances and wealth and so on, and commerce, and run the people beneath them more efficiently. The Soviet Union really was built on that idea of social Darwinism, and inevitably, of course, from the very beginning, they were elitists themselves at the top of the Soviet Union. Uh, they believed that those at the top were the most highly evolved, and therefore had the right to dominate those beneath them, and arrogance sets in, and corruption sets in pretty quickly, and they end up being much the same as the West, a mirror image in a sense. Uh, the only difference being, like George Orwell said, in Animal Farm, when the pigs um, eventually met with the old farmers and joined them, uh, the farmer said to the pigs, your system, your communist system is better, we like it, because, because it's more efficient for controlling the masses than ours. Well, you see, that's why the elite in the West adopted what is now the Soviet system. But yeah, Lenin did talk about how long uh, this would last, the, the Soviet dictatorship would actually last, he said towards the end of the millennium, uh, they'll bring it down and then it will move and blend in with the West because he, it was all part of the same plan from the West, a dialectical technique. The Soviets amalgamated many, many small countries into a huge Soviet Union, standardized them all, many languages and tongues and systems, standardized them all and primarily gave them the same um, uh, education Education is very important to standardize peoples across the world. Today, the, the UNICEF is doing the same thing in the Middle East when they, in Iraq, for instance. So, uh, was, the Soviet system was, was also designed to make people beneath the Politburo and beneath the bureaucracies. Uh, it, it was, they were trained not to do too much thinking about the higher matters of life, to leave it to the experts. And the same technique was being implemented in the West uh, by big foundations uh, that Bertrand Russell belonged to. He was a British lord. And he said the same thing, that, that the public shortly will have to ask an expert on how to change the diaper on a baby because they won't know how to do it without advice. Well, that's happened. Socialism is perpetual childhood. Uh, Gorbachev himself um, was sent out at the end and he gave a speech before he left as president of the Soviet Union to the Politburo. And I have the speech somewhere here. And I'll sort of paraphrase it. He says, he says, my friends, he says, don't believe when you hear that this is the end of communism. He said, we are simply moving into the next stage that was planned long ago. And that was written, published in all Western media at the time. Everyone's forgotten about it. Eric Margolis in the Toronto Sun the whole write-up, if you want to go in and check the archives for the Toronto Sun, Eric Margolis, writing about Gorbachev, because the entire speech is in there. And if you notice, towards the end, uh, Michael Gorbachev was escorted around the world in arm-in-arm arm by Margaret Thatcher, the Prime Minister of Britain, supposed arch-enemy. And uh, the reporters across the world all agreed to interview Gorbachev and his wife, 
and never to ask a question on politics or the Soviets, the negative side of the Soviet system. Uh, so there's your collusion of the media uh, doing what they're told quite happily to fool the Western people as to what was really happening. It was always intended that the big experiment, the U.S., you see, was called the Great Experiment, and then the second one was the Soviet system. It was a blending of the two systems together by the same dominant minority at the top uh, with a, a, a collectivist bureaucracy um, running the rest of the world. That's what we're coming into now, worldwide. Yeah, so you're could quite I, right. Could I ask you a question? Yeah. Uh, the proletariat, the purpose served by the proletariat uh, under, under Russian communism, um, that um, Gorbachev said was unstable, uh, that they were inefficient, uh, and so forth. Uh, and I, I want to ask you which uh, forces, which groups uh, are now under this new stage of socialism, which groups are substituting for the proletariat? In other words, which groups have they shifted to away from the proletariat? But we've gone into really are what they call technocrats now. Uh, the, the technocrats are the new, the new uh, expert, uh, electronic uh, technician type experts who run all information. Uh, those are the ones that are now working in that position over over what used to be called the proletariat, and um, and even then, uh, in the Soviet former Soviet Union, uh, the big people who have risen up as the big magnets already. Uh, with millions of dollars in, in enterprise, uh, were all specially picked uh, and allowed to get to rise to the positions they're in. The, the few that, that were not authorized to do so have already been put in prison. You can't get up into any system, east or west, unless you're authorized to get to come up. They let you in. You must be one of their men. As I say, they don't allow independent players in this world system. It's a big club at the top. So... So what happened, too, in the Soviet Union is from the 1950s onwards, they began to give extra rewards to bureaucrats and to the Politburo because they couldn't get them to be efficient. And that was the beginning of the emulation of the capitalist system into the Soviet. And the only way they could get extra money was to withhold monies to the people down below. So the people below got poorer and poorer, while they end up with basically a middle class in the Soviet Union. That led to its downfall as well. Do you think the uh, stockholders see the the one function, one of the main functions of the proletariat, was a political function? Mm -hmm. In other yeah. words, the socialists depended upon the uh, proletariat for their political support. Yeah. Now the um, under the new stage in in this new stage of socialism, uh, which uh, Gorbachev recognized, and which I believe. Uh, you recognize, and uh, I do too, for that matter, uh, uh, the stockholders, uh, are one of the political uh, groups that uh, they depend upon for their political support. Mm -hmm. the, yes, yeah. Isn't that true? Yes, it's very much the same uh, worldwide now. Uh, you'll find the same in the West. Uh, that um, even the huge unions are still left uh, invest their monies into these big uh, corporations 
global international corporations and they tell their members still what to vote um, so yeah they're still used for that purpose it's, it's almost like looking at the American what's left of uh, the working class and the middle class uh, their minds are not their own they're still trying to, to work in an old system which has moved on and they don't realize uh, that uh, their, their whole procedure of politics is broken you can't go back you can't fix something that's this far gone and it was gone a long long time ago it's not a recent thing and yet they're still going like robots that are programmed they still go ahead and, and keep this voting farce up I keep telling people, if you want to find out who really runs the world, everybody stop voting, because it won't fall apart, you'll be surprised to see. They'll continue again, and they'll have to come forward. Voting is a form of us giving our consent to people to rule us as they see fit. That's the only right you have under what they call democracy. Now I'm talking about the democracy of all the signatory countries of the United Nations, including the United States. You gave up your, your sovereignty when they signed that charter. Everyone who signed that knew that at the time. I have all the books here from the participants and the signatories that wrote books at the time, and I have them all here. Well, thank you very much, Alan. I enjoy yeah. your program. Okie doke. Hi, folks. I'm Alan Watt, and I'm filling in for Michael Herzog. Please check into my website at cuttingthroughthematrix.com and alanwattsentinel.eu for a lot more information on these topics, going into more detail onto, into how we arrived at this particular stage, the main forces guiding it, working together in unison, and how... Basically, they've created a, a form of mind control over generations, whole generations, and whole continents, basically, through special scientific indoctrination and education, followed up by mass propaganda in the media. I go into the authors of even the scientific indoctrinations. Excuse me for a second, I'm closing the door because I've got the China special going past that brings all the plastic goodies to the main stores across Canada every day. And um, so check into the websites and see what I have there uh, covering a lot of this information and, and show you that nothing's really changed in the techniques of rulership uh, from the ancient times um, of the Middle East and the conquest and empire builders that simply built empire after empire and amalgamated them until the final empire is the global empire. That's the stage we're at today, and they're pushing forward. The only thing being, there's going to be no real celebration. It's going to be a reign of terror, because without enemies um, to, to blame for anything, they must keep control by finding enemies within. And the same technique they used within the closed Soviet Union, they had to find terrorists everywhere and uh, people were dragged up their beds in the middle of the night and that was the last you'd see of them if you were the neighbor that's happening here already under this present guise of terrorism same technique why change the formula it always works terrify the public and they stand around like sheep and um and do what they're told is there any other one on the the, the line there for a call hello 
anyway, um, if people want to phone in, they can do so. And I'll see if I can answer their questions. I should note, too, that the United Nations has declared officially that the model Soviet, or, or state for the world, the model that we've all been modeled after, is China. Now, for those who are hard of thinking, China is still officially a communist country run by a dictatorship. And it was set up by the West. You can read about that in the books of the, the Royal Institute for International Affairs going back to the 1930s. Get their books. They discuss setting China up to be the manufacturer of the world. And they, they also, as, as quickly said himself, they don't mind if they use capitalism or communism or dictatorships. They'll use any method to reach their goal. So China, with its one-child policy per family and its heavily regulated uh, system regarding individualism, which is pretty well non-existent there, is the model state for the world officially approved by the United Nations and all the signatory governments, including our own. And that's what we have to follow in the near future is coming here. Uh, because birth control has always been a big problem of the elite. They're terrified that the public will simply be breed out a hand, be too many of them, and they will lose control over us. They've uh, written about this since the days of, um, you, you'll find it in Thomas Malthus, the great economist for the British crown in the 1700s. Thomas Malthus was also the economist for the British East India Company. Every major person in the nobility had a share in that company. It wasn't open to outsiders. Uh, Elihu Yale, that created Yale University, was a member of it. And Elihu Yale himself said he would create that university to make sure that the same system would continue in the Americas because it would give them their leaders. That's how far back this can go. And people are completely ignorant of it, the old skull and bones, the pirate flag, because their ancestors were pirates and buccaneers and plundered and robbed to accumulate great wealth and become the masters over the masters of the world, as Albert Pike, the great Freemason, said himself. It's happened. It's been here for a long time, an ongoing agenda, and we're at the final stages of this part of it. They call it the end of an age. Some people call it the end of an era. We've gone from being an industrial West to a technological West. We're now post-industrial, post-technological. And really, when you look at it, we have no real function than to simply consume now and borrow and supply military people for the armies that will finish off the standardization of the world. And the elite themselves have said in all of the writings that will tolerate no useless eaters. They want a world based on efficiency under economics. Now, people have been, been brought up to think that the economic system is there to serve them. It's the other way around, according to the elite. You're there to serve their system. I'll be back in a moment. I'm Alan Watt. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. 
and I'm standing in for Michael Herzog. And I believe we have Fred on the phone. Is Fred there? Hello, is I'm Fred here. there? Yes, I'm right here. Yeah. Uh, I did not really uh, understand the statement you made a while back, and you said that uh, from the 50s on, uh, the Soviet Union had begun to uh, in, uh, give incentives to uh, people in the bureaucracy, and that may be true, but I didn't see what followed when, when you said that that was the start of the crumbling of capitalism. I don't see how... No, that was the, that was the start of the crumbling of the Soviet system, or its okay. tight you, control, you said, yeah. Right, well, you said capitalism, and I didn't, it didn't seem to make any sense. Yeah, well, what I meant was they were, they were emulating capitalism, you see. They were, they were giving out uh, extra rewards to the, those who helped oversee the public. Mm-hmm. And the only way they could get those rewards was to hold back monies to the public so the public were getting poorer while they were forming a middle class within the bureaucracies. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's, what, that's when it really started to fall within. When the, the workers started to get less and less pay and poor conditions, they simply put less work into, mm-hmm. into their, their actual performance at work. Okay, well, that, that, you're making a very clear case. I, 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 I can see exactly how that's true. Now, I want to uh, mention that yesterday on the National Intel Report, a uh, caller from Nebraska uh, brought up something very important as far as our own government, and that is the rise of these agencies, especially ones like the Export-Import Bank, OPIC, and the gigantic subsidies uh, that actually violate uh, Adam Smith's own doctrine. Mm-hmm. In other words, we're the only country that I can see that has the role of basically destroying itself uh, economically. And the Adam Smith, uh, uh, the Wealth of Nations basically teaches the uh, the benefit of um, um, of the individual's own uh, um, self self uh, uh, self benefit, mm-hmm. but the the workings of OPEC yeah. uh, actually serve to destroy that because people are being taxed in order to destroy mm-hmm. uh, the industries that they work in. Yes, they are, and again, that was done under uh, the the agreement for the amalgamation of the Americas, as it was already done for the amalgamation of Europe. Uh, mm-hmm. They said that those countries that were first world countries would subsidise the the, the the less countries and uh, give them their hospital care, their their education system, etc., and bring them up. And they admitted that as the, the first countries brought the lower ones up, the first countries will start to submerge down to a certain level, and they'd both meet in between. Under the amalgamation for the Americas, uh, the United States and Canada have to subsidize all the other Latin American countries up to a certain standard, and at the same time we drop down to theirs. That's a done deal. It's signed into mm-hmm. their agreements, yeah. Well, well, that is, that is so, and... But I find it ironic that first of all, OPEC is 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 relatively old, and the Export Import Bank Bank is even older. I think that goes back to the 30s. Yeah. Well, the the thing I find ironic is that uh, when the leaders, when our political leaders were screaming about 
the superiority of uh, the free market, uh, these 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 plans are in place to subsidize the uh, destruction of our own economic base. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it, when I when I, I said it a little bit clumsily, but what I meant was uh, with Adam Smith's Wealth of Nations, uh, that that uh, this does not even fit into that ideal, or and it doesn't even fit into the uh, socialist ideal. It doesn't fit anywhere except this uh, effort to simply destroy the own, uh, its own system. It doesn't fit in. It doesn't fit into capitalism. It doesn't fit into socialism because uh, there is no other country that's ever tried to do it this way. Mm-hmm. And and OPEC is is literally an export import bank is literally subsidizing the uh, the hollowing out of a whole civilization. Yes, they've always used the big banks for this too. Um, I mean, Britain did the same thing, the exact same thing uh, when they took over Hong Kong. And uh, they created the Bank of Hong Kong to do a similar job. But what they really do with these big banks is they have agreement with the governments, and they they, they also borrow heavily. It's this public-private partnership is what it's all about. And for every massive loan they give out, they put you down as the guarantor, uh, the citizen as a guarantor for that mm-hmm. loan. And therefore, uh, they, they, they know in advance they're going to write those loans off because they know that the recipients can't pay them. Yeah. But, they, but they know that you as a second guarantor will have to pay them. It's all a big con game. of, of uh, It's a shell game. Yeah. And, Alan, the, 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 one of the uh, biggest issues involved with these public-private partnerships is that they're almost, they're, they're almost impossible to audit. Yes, they are. Uh, and that's written into their charter, an agreement with the government, it started with the Rothschild Bank when they took over the Bank of England. The one condition they made was that the government had no right, never would have a right, to come in and, and audit them and go over their books. What what time frame was that when they came in and took over the Bank of England? In the 1700s. Yeah. And 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 that that was there was no publicity at the time when that happened. Or oh before? yeah, there was there was publicity, but um, the average person had no power in those days either. And really, no more power than they do today. Mm-hmm. But there's, see, there, there was some supposed benefit that might have been tossed about as, as uh, 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 you know, to make that change uh, palatable. Possibly at that time, they said that that was either necessary or desirable mm-hmm. to do, which is like they're doing now. Yeah, uh, something is necessary or desirable, yeah. and it may be completely illegal and and. Uh, uh-huh. Unnecessary and undesirable. Yeah, but, but you only hear that it's necessary and desirable, and you don't hear even anything about even any change being legal. Yeah, so that, that that is that is the whole that is the whole process that's still going on even now. Yes, it is. And you realize too that that uh, these characters make their own laws as they go along, as as long as they're authorized by by the dominant minority. And we do have a dominant minority in every country that's interlinked with each other uh, above governments. They're not, they're not even um, answerable to governments. Governments are answerable to them. That's the reality of the world we live in, not how we think it's supposed to be, but how it really is. Yeah. Yes, that's, that's quite true. So I, I just wanted to bring that up, that what, I, what I had mentioned about uh, uh, the, you know, the rise of these agencies yeah. uh, that, that is... 
that is also tied in with the um, uh, destruction of the economy. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's, that's what I wanted to say. Yeah. There's no doubt they have big plans for uh, vastly reducing the populations of certain countries once their purpose is over. That's why they're, they're simply using them like a sponge right now and wringing them out. We'll have, we'll have no use once that's over. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And nothing to replace it for. Yeah. And I, So anyway, that's that one. Thank you. Yeah. Now, is Anne there? Is Anne still on the line? Hello? No, I'm I'm here. Yeah. Yes, I, that's all I wanted to say. Okay. So thank you. Thank you for calling in. Hello. Hello. Is that Anne? Yes. Yes. Hello, Alan. How uh, are you? I'm, I'm doing fine, and you were sorely missed during your long absence from shortwave. I actually went through a big box of old, really scrappy notes looking for your address to find out if you had any books left. Yes, I do. Yeah. <laughs> I do. Um, I love listening to you. What steps um, would an enlightened person have taken uh, in order to survive, should it turn out to be the case that we cannot fight off the steamroller? Mm-hmm. I, I think uh, I've always said that people, if possible, if they can, should try and get out of the big cities uh, the, the present existing big cities because they are to be the new habitat areas where we're all to be corralled mm-hmm. and you'll have no ability to feed yourself your water is delivered to you everything, you're, you're dependent on them for everything you need and uh, uh, those who can get out of the cities should have been doing it hopefully uh, even if they live in a very small place and, and uh, scratch out a living with, with vegetables or whatever at least you have some, some way of surviving longer uh, than those who are cramped up in cities and cordoned off with, mm. with the new Nazi Gestapo. Well, that part I've already accomplished. Uh-huh, yeah. But I would have to imagine that some sort of system would take hold, although yeah, it's yeah. difficult to see what it would be. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine that money wouldn't even be a part of it for a long time, would it? It wouldn't eventually. There's no doubt about that. Uh, Money is a means to an end by the big boys, as long as we believe in it and we've all been trained to work for it, not for barter, but we work for money, um, then then they'll they'll use it to the end. They've already said they're going to replace money with a credit system dished out by the new governments when the time is right into an account that everyone will have and you can't save up those credits you must use them every week to, to pay rent because there's to be no private property under the UN Habitat Region Treaty Agenda 21 and and uh, anyone who disobeys any rules and regulations will have their credits withdrawn and that's going to be the way of social punishment so so those on the outside the outskirts I'm sure will get a hard time uh, if they're within easy reach Maybe the further away they are, the better, and will be the will be the wild ones, the the barbarians that um, Aldo Huxley talked about in Brave New World, and can at least live some kind of semblance of independence in their own lives for some amount of time. That's all we can really hope for as the system comes down. But you're talking about pure survival. It, it, would, it would come down to pure survival. We are under warfare, you see, right now. 
This is yes. war on the people. Yes. It's total war. It's weather war. Uh, we have harp going. We have the spraying going. Uh, it's an economic war on us. Um, this would be total survival, and and it all depends which way the wind blows as to what comes out of it. I always tell people, don't stop with our own generation. We've got to get the young involved. We've got to train them. We've got to teach them everything we know uh, to keep independent minds because when the last independent mind is extinguished, it's game over. It's silence for the world, and, and that's their goal. Thank you for your time. You it's a pleasure. Question. Thank you. Mm. So there we, we are. It's, it's not... Uh, an easy path. Now, most people think they can save the system. And I keep telling them the system was never theirs to save. We were just born into one phase of it. It was already controlled by bigger powers. We never really did have a big say in much at all. And even the, the formalities people had in the U.S., certain rights and freedoms, have, have gone by the wayside. The judges and the courts overrule everyone today and, and snigger even at the people who come in. They're so arrogant and cocksure of themselves. So you can't save something which is destined to be broken. It was broken already a long time ago. And uh, it's so easy to get people to give up what they have as you spoil them temporarily with a glut of credit cards and easy credit and debt. It's terribly easy to spoil them. And the children who are born right now and get handed a credit card, they think it's always been this way. They don't know any other way. They think that the big credit taps will be open forever, and they can just play and play and play. And we've got to tell them the truth. And for every one person, you can truly wake up, and that light turns on. Then that's another person that can tell a hundred or a thousand, or perhaps like myself, maybe thousands more. And it has to be done quickly because the world is getting very dark and it becomes very ominous. And we have to demand that every person who is a position above us in any legal capacity whatsoever, from a school board to a local council to the guys at the top or even your police chief, we have to demand to know what allegiances they've given, to what organizations they belong, and you'll find they're all global already and they follow that agenda, not your constitution. And you've got to get rid of them. You've got to get them out. And it has to be done very quickly. But we have the right to know who these people are. You'll find they're all within the same high Freemasonic organizations. And all the Freemasonic organizations are global. And have sworn allegiance to international brotherhood. And by that, at the top, they don't mean the average Joe. It's an elite at the top. And it's an elitist organization. And even at the 30th degree and 33rd degree, they call the people the profane, those in the darkness, you know, the commoners. Just another way of saying the commoners is arrogance and elitism. We have to know who these people are. And that goes for male and female. You'll find them both. They belong to these organizations. That has to be a, a must be. You have the right to know who they are. Because you're giving them the right to make laws that are going to affect you laws that if you don't obey and you don't agree with won't matter, they'll get their hoods to come in with their, with their ninja outfits and drag you off to a prison somewhere 
yet you vote them in. The elite count on those in the masses that go along with them. We acquiesced to their wishes by our silence, and we've got to stop it now. Now is the time to stop it. You don't let it get to the end of the road when there's chaos, and the occasional person will have their back to the wall is about to lose their home and have conflicts with the police. You, you try and stop it long before that happens. They have their internal armies trained. They've been training them for over 20 years. It's called a multi-jurisdictional task force, a combination of military and police and all special training to deal with, with what they see coming up in the near future because they know what they're going to pull off in society in the near future. They know the public are going to suffer and will not like it. And they are expecting what they call flash mobs to grow up. This is from the British Military Department of Defense, from their top think tank. It was published in the Guardian newspaper a few weeks ago. Look into my website. You get the, all, the whole 90 pages of it there. Read it carefully because it's a NATO country. So is the U.S., so is Canada. They all signed this agreement. And they foresee 30 years of mayhem, anarchy, and chaos coming along as they implement this agenda. Go into it, study it, and say, why would the public retaliate? What have they planned that would make Joe Sixpack retaliate? Hi, folks. I'm back again. I'm Alan Watts. Uh, check in my site at cuttingthroughthematrix.com and Alan alanwattsentinel.eu filling in for Michael Herzog um, I believe we have Dean in Florida on the line is Dean there? hello? hello is Dean there? Dean is here okay hey Alan just want to tell you I have an absolutely uh, wonderful show um, now you don't have too long so it won't be long but um, I personally uh, believe you're on the line with Aristotle and Socrates and Chigmistus. I mean, the knowledge you're putting out is just wonderful, but um, just uh, just unbelievable at the same time. It's great. Um, I have a question for you. I believe that a lot of what the elite are using is in their symbologies coming from some main groups such as uh, tarot, um, alchemy, astrology, uh, numerology. And, uh, and divination and the like and their symbology. A couple questions. Um, would it behoove us, the non-initiated, the uh, profane person, to not make that a religion or anything like that, but to become well immersed in that, in other words, knowledgeable of that for the purpose of knowing what, you know, knowing what our enemies are doing against us, um, how to def- how to defeat them by by knowing again by knowing it and what's going on and by ultimately maintaining our own individuality. Yeah, yeah the, the problem is yeah that there's so much to to learn about it and there's about 15 false steps uh, to captivate your mind and lead you off to the wrong directions along the way put there in purpose. I will be doing a whole series shortly. On, it's probably the deepest on the occult ever given out. It will be in fact the deepest in occult symbology and the real real meanings behind it all and all the multiple levels of meanings this hasn't been done before so uh, check into the site keep tuned and I'll, I'm going to do a series on this because it is very important um, when you understand the symbology the language that's used amongst the high uh, groups 
characters at the top. Exactly, because it seems like, you know, just with the tower alone, yeah. they're using what people don't even realize they're calling the Book of Life, and they say, yeah. I'm hearing that goes back 25,000 years and beyond. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that, that, that the Torah came from that, the Pentateuch, you know, what the Christians call Pentateuch came from that, mm-hmm. you know, Tara, Torah, and it's like, oh my God, you're telling me that, that all that came from the tarot? And, and this is some, that's basic knowledge that, you know, an initiate would know, you know, or just a third degree or master. Mm-hmm. And you tell most people that, and they, you know, they think you're the devil. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. it's true. It is true. But, but we get the symbology all the time. I mean, Torah, Torah, Torah was was the, the battle cry for the invasion of Pearl Harbor by the jet, yeah, the, the aircraft that came over to bomb them. And that's no coincidence either. So we, we get these little things all down through history. But yeah, I'll be going into all this stuff in the, in the greatest depth that's ever been done uh, anywhere uh, very shortly. Yeah. Outstanding. And once again, thank you so much. You're absolutely wonderful. Yeah, it's, a, it's a pleasure to talk to you. Well, that's the end of it, I think, coming up for today's show. And I'm Alan Watts, filling in for Michael Herzog, who I think will be back next week. And um, please look into my website, cuttingthroughthematrix.com. Download as much of this free information as possible and educate yourselves while you have the time. All the best from me and Hamish, my dog. Talk to you again.